Hey, beer nerds, and welcome to podcast. My name is Michael Moeller, recording from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, today is Thursday, I guess, Thursday, March 31st, 2016. And uh, this is episode two of the Building Breweries podcast. We've made it to episode two. I, I haven't lost my motivation yet, but who knows? I might soon. And uh, when, when I stop making these, it means that I'm probably just gave up. And that's okay. Um, as always, if you want to get in touch with me for some reason, uh, you can send me a tweet at MolarMD, or you can give me an, uh, an email at MolarMDE at yahoo.com. Um, we're now up on, you know, all the, all the, the necessary iTunes podcast type websites like Stitcher and SoundCloud and Tuned In. I don't know if, if there's more, uh, I'll get on them eventually. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but today we're talking with uh, with uh, Bryant Golding. He's from Ryan Geist up in Cincinnati. Uh, he's the co-founder and vice president. So, all right, now we're going to head on up the road to Cincinnati, Ohio, speaking with Bryant Golding, co-founder and vice president of Ryan Geist. Brian, how you doing? Great. Good. Is it a little bit, uh, is it stormy there like it is right here in Louisville? Yeah, that uh, storm came through this morning and brought some good old Midwest humidity with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that when I was uh, when I was leaving work earlier and uh, the, the thunder is pretty bad right now here in Louisville. Um, so, hey, before we get started talking about Ryan Geist, can you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a beer geek. I uh, studied economics in college and wrote my thesis on the economics and evolution of the craft beer industry. And I ended up out on the West Coast selling beer for Anderson Valley and then Dr. Shed and uh, made my way to Cincinnati with uh, my business partner who was here and convinced me to come out and visit him and check out the emerging beer scene. And I uh, moved here three and a half years ago to uh, open up Rheingeist. And I'm loving uh the Midwest. I'm loving Cincinnati and OTR, this small emerging uh, little neighborhood here with a bunch of great character, and uh, I think that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, you you mentioned OTR over the Rhine. Uh, do you know Do you know the history behind that place at all? Behind that neighborhood? Yeah, it was, um, and I think that's one of the most compelling things for places to build a brewery. There were over forty here in pre-prohibition times. Over 45,000 people lived in the neighborhood that today houses about 8,000, and that number was 7,000 when I moved here. So this was a, a burgeoning, um, bustling town, and over the Rhine was crammed with a lot of German-Americans. And the building that we built Rheingeist in, um, Rheingeist means Ghost of the Rhine or Spirit of the Rhine, uh, because we were kind of bringing that, that spirit of community and brewing back to life, uh, but the, the building that we were in was the old Christian Warline bottling plant, and they were the 14th largest brewery in America at the time, brewing over 300,000 barrels. So yeah. even today, that would put them in you know the top dozen oh, yeah. breweries by size. Um, so we're, when I came out to, to Cincinnati for the first time, and we started looking at buildings, we were hopeful that we could find one of these carcasses to build a brewery into, because that would really feel like we kind of came full circle, bringing the brewing back to this great brewing heritage. Yeah, well, I mean, even just, um, you know, 15 years ago and, and, and in the 90s and early 2000s, um, over the Rhine, just 
in the last 15 years has, has gone through an, an incredible change. I mean, it was pretty crime-ridden um, for a little bit there and really, really violent uh, characters. Um, and, you know, it was, it was home to the Cincinnati riots in the early 2000s. And just growing up, my, my parents are from the Cincinnati area. Just growing up, I always heard that, you know, if you go over, uh, over the Rhine, then, you know, that, that's just a bad part of the town. Um, and then I visited, yeah. I, I visited maybe uh, four years ago for the first time uh, in my life, and it, it was it was emerging. It was beautiful. Um, it is completely changed. Yeah, it's, it feels like I, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut and uh, spent some time in New York, and it feels like Williamsburg before it got flooded by all the artists and creatives <laughs> and young professionals. Uh, so it, it feels feels like a, a big blank slate. I was living in Hayes Valley in San Francisco um, when Bob moved away. And that was a neighborhood that had turned from the exit ramp on the freeway to a really cool little village neighborhood in the middle of San Francisco. And I watched that neighborhood come, turn around. The, the bus stop at the top of my street was shot out three times Whoa. the time that I lived there. And yet, I think today, Hayes Valley is one of the highest ranked districts in the city. So I'm, I'm bullish on these emerging parts of town. And it's fun to be living in a place where new restaurants and bars and, and little merchants are opening up. There's more foot traffic each season. And uh, I don't know, it's exciting to be living in a town like Cincinnati that's really blossoming. I, you know, I feel the same about Louisville. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's some neighborhoods of Louisville in that exact same situation, kind of a kind of a rough area right now, but you can tell that they're trying to uh, trying to start some things up there. Um, so, okay, right. so, so you got so you got Ryan Geist, Ghost of the Rhine. How much thought went into that, in, into that, um, that name, that, that marketing, because even I know that the symbolism on the can, uh, it's, it's very unique. Yeah, well, you know, there, Bob and I were, I was still on the West Coast, so I, I quit working for Dogfish Head and um, had moved down to Los Angeles to launch Golden Road Scans. Hmm. And I spent six months um, using my contacts selling beer out there. And so we would fire text messages back and forth. Uh, and one of the ones that stick, that stuck, we wanted to balance this uh, you know, hearkening back to history, yet being very relevant in modern times. There's a bar in San Francisco called Zeitgeist, and it's a bunch of bikers and hipsters and was one of our favorite places to go and drink outdoors. They have great craft beer selection, and it's literally like motorcycles and bicycle riders all mixing together. And we love that communal aspect of what that bar was. So this Rheingeist, Ghost of the Rhine, Spirit of the Rhine, speaks to the history here in this neighborhood, in this city, but it was also kind of a modern take. And it was, it, it was also, it sounds German, and, and Geist is yeah, German for yeah. ghost or spirit. And yet we were not gonna brew many German style beers. We do now, but they're a small portion of our portfolio. Um, so we wanted to balance that Rheingeist guttural German sounding name with some pretty modern and frisky energetic beer names, like Cougar and Truth <laughs> and Spike and yeah, Uncle. Yeah. Um, and, and so be very modern and whimsical in our nature um, as we brew, would brew a bunch of different styles and, and some, our, our thesis on what beers we were gonna brew were happy and sessionable. So really approachable, dynamic, complex beers, but that were very drinkable. So even our very hoppy IPA, a little bit lower on bitterness because of later editions of hops than what a lot of examples are in the marketplace. So we were trying to make a statement um, for kind of the, mo the use of modern varietals of hops and modern brewing techniques. And we knew we were going to brew the gamut. And, you know, depending on what consumers liked, we would sell. You know, we still grew 
uncle of British Mild that is um, a, a house favorite, mm-hmm. but is not a consumer favorite, but we still brew it because we love that beer. And the malt complexity in a 3.8% beer is fantastic. Um, but I think consumers want a little bit more bang for their buck. Um, so it's one of the tougher ones to sell. So that was sort of the, the, the convention. And then with the branding itself, we knew we wanted to have a brand that would stand out on a shelf with a dizzying array of other packages. So we wanted something clean, something iconic that kind of seared itself into your brain. And so that's where we ended up with uh, with, with the little uh, skull drop. It's a drop of history in every batch. It kind of speaks to the history of this building and all the people that worked here were brewery owners. I, you know, <laughs> I've been in here at 2 a.m. No one else is. It's really <laughs> quiet. And there's that creepy feeling like this is a very old building. Who knows? Who knows what else lives here, spirit or otherwise? Um, so that was that was our aiming, our aim for the the brand itself. Where we ended up with that little lockup, which is clean, but also something that um, you know you'd want to wear on a t-shirt. Yeah. All right. So you, you mentioned the the IPAs earlier, and then kind of the taking on a little bit more bitterness. Um, truth that one of your IPAs it, that's one of your best sellers at about what maybe fifty percent. Is that what I read? Yeah. Not quite. Not quite. Yeah, I think last last chart I saw was forty seven percent. Oh, okay. All right. Well, regardless, um, that, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, what what are what are other uh, favorite ones of yours? Yeah, we we launched seventy six. Um, I did a year end recap a few months ago for everybody. We got the whole crew together, um, and we did seventy six different beers last year. Fifteen of them were single hot pale ales. Um, Fifteen of them were IPAs. 15 were pale ales, some of them hot blends. We did four lagers, nine Belgians, 15 darker brews. We launched 22 bombers, five barrel-aged beers, and uh, two sour beers. So um, we run the gamut. We play a lot with hops because you can rub and sniff hops, but you really have to brew them in a beer to get a a read on what they're going to taste like. So we do a lot of single hop experiments and keep those beers between 5 and 6% so that they're pretty drinkable. and we get, we get great feedback on the hops and which ones we want to use to scale up. And hops are something that you have to be ahead of in terms of getting contracts. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to learn, and we're also trying to educate or, or allow a consumer to educate themselves by drinking these single hot beers. Um, so we do a lot of that. We love playing with Belgian-style saisons are a great kind of counterpoint. Lagers and Pilsners we're really long on. Um, we did a Pilsner experiment recently because we wanted to, to make the most refined Pilsner out there. Um, so we did a yeast experiment with three different Pilsner yeasts and went with our favorite, which turned out to be Augustiner, one of the oldest yeasts in the world. And then we uh, did an experiment with dry hopping the Pilsner and we used Halletel Blanc and Saphir and then a control, which wasn't dry hopped at all. And so that the output of that experiment will be our Puma Pilsner, which comes out this summer. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we had all these different versions, uh, A, B, C, D, and E, of these Pilsners, um, which is great because as we're drinking more and more hoppy and, and richer, darker beers, and as the weather gets warmer, we like the kind of refinement and elegance of, of a Pilsner. So um, another fun style that we're playing with is Gosa. We, it's a, it's a, what's called a kettle sour, which means instead of, before we ferment with Saccharomyces, we infect it with lactobacillus. So it's kind of like a yogurt culture with a wheat malt base and we rent that in a tank we brew four different batches into that tank and pitch that lactobacillus which drafts the ph and 
and then we bring it back out of that tank, one brew that we can fit into the kettle at a time, and go back into another tank, wow. pitch regular Saccharomyces yeast, and then at the end of primary fermentation, we pitch in a little bit of peach, so we get some of that kind of fruity aromatics to balance out that tartness, and this is a beer, we, we launched this on Monday, but internally, we send employees home with payday cases, and uh, they, we, the can is gonna be a pink dodo can, and that has been an absolute success, at least internally. We haven't even launched it to market yet. <laughs> but sour beers are nice and refreshing. They kind of hit that wine-like flavor profile. And it was a challenge for us to scale a batch like this up. Mm-hmm. But it was very rewarding. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, to be honest, I, I really don't know much about Gozas or the Goza style. I've, I've had maybe a handful uh, so far, Anderson Valley being one of them. I actually just talked to, to Trey White with Anderson Valley in, in my first episode of this uh, podcast. But... Um, the um, I, I know it's I know it's an emerging style that seems to be picking up on popularity. So I'm I'm excited to see what other uh, takes that people have on it. Yeah, it, it you know it, it's not always one to one what we like as a brewery versus market, but we'll uh, we'll see. We're rolling the dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Trey's, a, Trey's a great guy. I actually worked at Anderson Valley. Um, that was my first beer job. I I was there before he bought the brewery, but. Um, I know he injected a lot of energy there. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a very nice, uh, very nice guy with me. Um, now, New Belgium, and that's another brewery that I that I plan on uh, contacting and reaching out here soon. Hopefully, uh, they just celebrated their 25th uh, anniversary, and uh, I know they reached out to various uh, breweries to kind of help them with the Fat Tire collaboration project. And Rheingeist was involved with that. How, how did that come about? Um, we got really lucky and we're humbled um, I, I working on the west coast I ran into a lot of New Belgium mites out there and they were all great passionate beer sales people um, and I was working for Dogfish Head and we ended up in the same place at the same time quite often um, they for us are this sort of cultural model where they really put people first they invest in their people to, to send them to Belgium they give them bikes they, they don't, it's not just words, it's an ethos and how they care about their people who are their company. Um, they've sold their business literally to the employees. So I, I've always revered them and they've been able to hold people. And I think that's a huge difference maker. We're really human driven business because it's personalities and relationships that make decisions about what beer gets sold and what beer gets promoted. And, and I have a ton of respect for their retention and how fun they make um, selling beer and growing. Um, I got a call out of the blue from Rich Rush, who manages their East Coast sales, who I had known when he was back managing their Northern California sales. Um, and they said, hey, we're doing this thing for Fat Tire's 20th anniversary. You want to work with us and collaborate? And I'm, I mean, I'm really speechless, but I, that was a moment where, like, you know, I get goosebumps and uh, uh, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> I was just kind of starstruck and amazed. Um, and I was picturing, you know, some sort of little collaboration and had no idea that as he described it to me, we would be going into 12 packs alongside, you know, some of our favorite breweries in the country. Um, Allagash, Firestone, Hub, and Avery are ground crew breweries as far as I'm concerned in terms sure. of creativity and quality. So um, we went out and brewed the pilot batch there a few weeks ago, um, or over a month ago now, and they're scaling up batches to launch, I think, pre-launch at Saber, and then we're actually doing a kickoff party here in Cincinnati on Monday, June 20th, I believe. Oh. And uh, I, they came to us and said, 
our portfolio was a Belgian extra pale ale that we created called Fiction. And it had uh, Rook for East with um, Pilsner Mall and Nelson Sullivan and Motuika Hops from New Zealand. And it was one of these things, we, we named it Fiction because, first of all, Belgian extra pale ale is not an actual style of beer. I don't think Roquefort makes blonde beers, mm-hmm. um, but we were using their yeast to do so. And uh, New Zealand hops in a Belgian style beer, we hadn't had a, a lot of them. I'm sure it's been done before somewhere. But So we were kind of really chasing uh, the, the, the white space with this one, and we really enjoyed it. We can't get a whole lot of Nelson hops, um, so we won't be able to brew that beer all that often. But we said, well, why don't we take Fat Tire in a similar direction? We, we can use that malt character but with a little more toast and that biscuity character and then pivot from that. And we went back and forth with them on that collaboration and ended up with using some Colorado malt, which is pretty cool, and then using um, some nice hops that don't even have names yet that they <laughs> have in their kind of caddy, which is awesome because they're doing the same things with a lot of research. And then they're going to bottle condition this beer. So we, we don't can condition. We centrifuge our beers uh, before we can or keg them but they are going to bottle condition this one. So it's, in working with them, it was such a a gratifying and and humbling and awesome experience to, you know, get together, collaborate, and come out with something. I haven't tried the beer yet, um, but I'm very excited to. And then to to see it in a 12-pack is just, it's going to be pretty magical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I'm I'm pretty embarrassed to say this, actually, because I'm really right down the road but I hadn't visited your brewery yet. Um, what would you say to somebody like me uh, about Cincinnati or about like over the Rhine, that area? Should I be making a day of it? Just to, would it just take a few hours? Um, what, what's the best day to go? Yeah, it's, um, I, I live in OCR, so I live uh, five blocks from the brewery. And there are, I think, 25 new businesses opened up in over the Rhine in the past 12 months. Um, I think the Chamber of Commerce just set that up. So it, it's a really exciting town. We've got great fried chicken. We've got great tacos. We've got great Asian food. We've got great burgers. We've got a hot dog spot that's been written up in GQ, Senate. Uh, <laughs> we've got all of this. We've got Washington Park, which throws concerts and has yoga. We've got a streetcar that is running laps around the city right now that goes down to the ballparks, um, but won't be open to the public until September. They're like safety testing it. Um, so that that's what OTR has going for it. It's, it's connected to downtown. It's a very walkable city. It's about to have a streetcar in the fall. And then as far as the brewery goes, it's a pretty unassuming 100,000 square foot building from the outside. It's brick and you walk up two flights of stairs and you kind of hear murmurings of whatever's going on depending on how busy we are upstairs. And you walk into our space and that is my favorite moment when someone who's never walked into the brewery steps into our space. There's 40 foot dealings with big skylights and it's just so open. They don't build spaces like this cost prohibitive but this is built the last another hundred years it's already been a hundred and that aha moment a lot of people just kind of twirl around looking in every direction and we've got the tanks right in front of you and our bar tasting room there's a pile of wood out back we pulled some of those up they're kind of like big railroad ties we made the bar out of it and uh, we've we've since this this April well this January we started a secondary construction project we poked through the wall ripped out the floor in an adjacent part of the building and put in a 60-barrel brew house on top of the 20-barrel brew house that we were working with. So we've got two brew houses in this old brewery and 240-barrel tanks on the back end where we do most of our core beers. I'm watching them brew a batch of beer right now. Um, And then the 20-barrel system, which we still use for some smaller batch stuff. And 
you go on a tour here, it is, it's pretty complex. There are three different floors and three different buildings, and we have an event space and an annex that we run out for weddings and um, meetings, and then we've got a rooftop deck that we're actually going to open this weekend, which is uh, 7,000 square feet and looks out over OTR in the city. So right right in time for um, opening day. Right in time for opening day. Yeah, we like to do things down to the wire here. <laughs> Any construction project, we were, we were kegging uh, kegs of truth the day we opened. Oh. <laughs> uh, so it's just, it, you know, it's kind of the nature of being understaffed and having big dreams. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that is perfectly all right. Well, Brian, I really do appreciate your time. Um, I, I look forward to visiting sometime very soon, and I hope to. Mike, I really appreciate you uh, reaching out for having us tell our story. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll talk to you again soon. All right, Brian? Have a good day. Take care. Thank you.